I'd like to talk to you today about walking by faith. One of the main reasons I'd like to do that is because the Bible says in Hebrews 11.6 this, Without faith it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. God says, you can't please me without faith. Uh, One of the great examples of faith in the Bible is Abraham. And uh, we're going to read several verses here before we hit chapter 12, actually chapter 11, verse 31 and 32. And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarah, his son Abram's wife, and they went out with them from the Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. God called Abram to go to the Canaan land, the promised land. He got about halfway on his journey and he stopped for a while. And the scripture records that here. He didn't go all the way right away. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. People lived a long time back in those days. Uh, Terah had been to many family reunions. In chapter 12, verse 1, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country and from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I want you to leave. I'm going to show you where to go. You don't know where you're going now, but just trust me. God always asked his people in every generation to trust him. How many times have you parents said to your kids, when they've said to you, why? You said, well, just trust me. You probably said some other things that didn't go over that good. But on occasion, you'd say, no, just trust me. God asks us to trust him all the way. Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Now, for those of you who like to underline things in your Bible, get ready. To underline these little statements, I call them the I will statements. When God says I will, he will. And so here we begin in verse 2. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. And make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will, there it is again, I will bless those, uh, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, just ready to get into the heart of his journey a 75-year-old person. Then Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions, and he had a lot. Uh, All his possessions that he had gathered and the people whom he had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go into the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Canaan is the holy land. It's the promised land. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem as far as the Terebinth tree of Morah. And the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. 
There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. You know, it's imperative that in our world you and I learn the same lessons as those who went before us. That's why we have so many good illustrations in the Bible of how to walk. In the book of Hebrews, the Bible says for you and me to imitate their faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so, therefore, we are to be imitators of those who came before us, their faith. This short statement, walking by faith, summarizes the life of Abraham. You know, God created man in the beginning to worship him, but man always wanted to worship his creation rather than his creator. And I was reading just the other day in the book of Romans about a culture that God gave up on, Romans chapter 1. Does God give up on a culture? He does. And in Romans chapter 1, God backed away and left the culture to itself, to its own devices. And one of the reasons why is uh, declared there to us, they worship the creation more than the creator. They fell in love with God, what God made, rather than with him. And so they had a misplaced love. God always created man to worship him. You know, I, whenever I look at God in the Bible, I seem to think that he is an eternal optimist. I know for sure he's eternal. Uh, I don't know absolutely for sure whether he's an optimist or not. But in respect to man, he is. He kept reaching out. He kept trying to do something with the human race. And uh, he would reach out and man would fail and he would try again. Uh, for instance, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 6, uh, the culture of Noah, God said, listen, I'm sorry that I made man. Last week, if you were here, we talked about the, the transition between Saul's administration and David's administration. And as Saul was leaving and everybody was saying goodbye to King Saul, uh, the Bible says God was sorry that he made Saul king over Israel. And so... And so our passage for this morning comes on the heels of the Tower of Babel. God tried again with Noah, but it failed again. And so the people wanted to build a tower so that they could build a memorial to themselves, not to God. And you know what happened. God came down and he confused their languages and spread these people around the world. And today they don't have a memorial to them. But what he did is he looked down in a place called the Ur of the Chaldeans over by Iraq. And he saw this person, Abraham, his name was Abram at that time, uh, who would be submissive to him, and he called him out, and he made his name great. It's interesting. The people of Babel wanted their name to be great, and God said, no deal. God said, I'm looking for people who are humble people and submissive people and I'll make their name great. And boy, he really did it for Abraham. He did. God called Abram to leave his former life. Uh, the first call uh, was way down in the ear of the Chaldeans. Uh, for instance, Joshua 24.2 says this. Let's read it together. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, your fathers, 
including Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. What was Abraham's life before he heard the voice of God? He was, according to this verse, an idolater. And I can't help but think that before you hear the voice of God and before I hear the voice of God, that's what we are as well. You know, idolatry takes many forms. It really does. It doesn't have to be a person in a room burning incense, bowing down to a little object or a big object. It can be a person who is in love uh, with something more than they are in love with God. Uh, An idol is anything that comes between you and God. It's anything that you bow down to. It's anything that you spend your time pursuing. And so this was where Abraham was before God met him. In Acts chapter 7, verse 2, let's read this. And he said, brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to your father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Haran. And so way down in this ancient land, God spoke to a person named Abram. He was an idolater. But something happened in his heart. I guess we could call it conversion. And so he started out and he said, listen, if you follow me, I'll show you where I want you to go. And so Abraham said to his family, let's go. And it's interesting, if you look in the map in the back of your Bible, uh, he's way over here in the east. And God says, listen, I want you to go west. Of course, they said, we're not going across the desert. That's too ominous. And so he took the Euphrates River And he traveled right up north, and then he was going to go down south again. But halfway in his journey, he comes to this place where he stops. He and his family, uh, he doesn't complete his mission. Now, if you have a good study Bible, probably there are reasons in your study Bible that people conjecture why Abraham didn't go the distance when God called him. Some people have said maybe there was sickness in his entourage and maybe had to stop for a while. Maybe his father said, hey, listen, I think we need to stop here. And he kind of obeyed his father and they stopped there. But after his father died, they they continued on. Maybe it was to show you and me that whenever God calls us, we don't usually always go the distance with God, do we? We kind of like say, okay, God, I'll do half of that. You tell me to do this, I'll go halfway with you. Well, whatever it is, we don't know, but they stopped there for a period of time. And after they had the death, the funeral service of his father, they went on. God called him again. And this is what he said the second time. Let's look at it, chapter 12. Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. What does it mean to be a great nation? Well, what God meant there was this. Uh, They were going to be great because they were to carry the banner of the great God in a world of darkness. They were going to be exhibit A of a nation completely given over to God. I believe that that was the dream of people who came to America. I believe the dream of the people that came to our country initially wanted a nation wholly given over to God. 
That was their desire. Well, that is a great nation whenever that happens. And so God had great designs to make these people a great nation. Uh, And God made them great in two ways. Naturally, God says, I'm going to make your posterity as the dust of the earth. That's a lot of people. Through Isaac and Ishmael, and think about it with me this morning, uh, God did make them great. They are everywhere. Between Isaac and Ishmael, there is a great population. But he also used another analogy as the stars of heaven, and that refers to the spiritual greatness of who would come through Abraham. There's going to be a physical greatness, a lot of people. There's going to be a spiritual greatness as well, the stars of heaven. And then he says, I'm going to bless you and your name. I'm going to make you famous. The name Abraham is known and revered around the world. Abraham next to Christ is the outstanding name in the scriptures. How many times have you run into recently a person named Abraham? He says, I'm going to make you a blessing. And uh, the nation of Israel has been a blessing and is a blessing today. I love what Romans chapter 3 verse 1 says. It says this. What advantage then has the Jew? What is, it, what is the advantage of being a Jewish person? Paul answers it in Romans 3. He says, much in every way, for unto them are committed the oracles of God. We have the whole Bible because of the Jewish nation. The Jewish people were writers of the scriptures. It was an advantage for them and for us that God called them. And God blessed them in this way. Uh, When Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, woman at the well in John chapter 4, he says, You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. He said, Listen, uh, I'm going to make you a blessing. And Abraham has been a blessing, hasn't he? We wouldn't be sitting here probably without him. Uh, He says, I'm going to bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. I've said this before to you that one of the reasons why I believe America is great, as great as it is and as great as it was, is because it has blessed Israel. That's what the scripture says right here. The rise and fall of empires are determined by the attitude of a nation toward Israel. As our nation reaches out and embraces the nation of Israel, God says, if you do that, I'll bless you. Uh, But if you are detrimental, harmful, and hurtful, I will curse you. Wow, those are powerful words. And God said, listen, I will do this. May 14th, 1948, as you know, the nation of Israel declared themselves an independent state. And they knew when they did that, that trouble was going to break out in their area of the world. They sent a letter to President Truman on the 13th of May and ask him if America would recognize Israel as an independent state. Uh, 6.15 p.m. on the 14th, they read President Truman's statement that came back to them the day they declared an independent state. It said this, This government has been informed that a Jewish state has been proclaimed in Palestine And recognition has been requested by this provincial government itself. 
the United States recognizes the provincial government as the de facto authority of the nation, the new state of Israel. That was on May 14th. The United States recognized Israel as an independent nation. On the 15th, Israel was attacked by everybody that lived around them. They were experiencing the joy of birth and the pain of death in that proclamation. Well, God says, if you bless my people, I'll bless you. Uh, and that's what happened. But life for Abraham back in those days when God called him to initially start the nation of Israel uh, got harder when he started to serve the Lord. You know, when God calls a person to follow him, his life gets harder and easier, depending on the degree to which he follows God. If you're here today and you're saying, well, you know, I just really want to follow God so closely, and if I do that, my life will probably get easier, it won't. If you want to serve God with all of your heart and give everything you have to the Lord, your life will get harder because you'll have more opposition. Uh, but in another sense, it will get more easy because where sin abound, grace does much more abound. And so what that means is you go forth to get knocked knocked around and beat up out here in the world, God will give you this extraordinary peace in your heart. God will give you a peace that you can't understand and you can't explain. And listen, the world doesn't have that peace. The world without God has turmoil in their heart. The Bible says in Isaiah 57, 21, the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God to the wicked. Well, uh, he knew that uh, he was headed out and things were going to get tough for him. He was called into the world. Verse number 6, look at that with me, please. Genesis 12, 6. The first thing he saw in the land of promise was the Canaanite. That was a uh, foreboding situation there. He was on a new mission. But he came right up against his enemies, the Canaanites. He was in the world, but not of the world. How many people have ever heard that statement before? In the world, but not of the world. Raise your hand. Now, we get that from the statement that Jesus makes when he prays in John chapter 17, verse 11. Let's look at that and let's read it together, okay? Now, I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father... Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. These are in the world. That's referring to you, to me. We're in the world. The next verse, let's read it. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. We are in the world. We are not of the world. The world marches to a different drumbeat. We can't hear their tune. Uh, we don't understand them. They don't understand us. Uh, and that's, what it, that's where Abraham was, right here in our passage for this morning. Uh, he had met the Canaanites. And he would spend the rest of his life struggling to serve God in their culture. Which, by the way, God had given up on. 
God gave up on the culture of the Canaanites. And so God was calling a nation to come in and displace the people who lived there. And God said, listen, I'm giving that nation the title deed to the land. And then he said, listen, you've got to go in and clean house for me. What is the first thing that Abraham did when he went into the land? Well, the Bible says there that he built an altar in verse number 8. He was confronted by the Canaanites. The second thing he did was build build an altar, uh, a place of worship. And so what happened, as the Canaanites looked at him, they saw that Abraham did not bow down to the things that they were worshiping. But he bowed down to a God who was invisible by faith. Remember? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. He would be known as the father of the faithful. Now, Abraham didn't initiate faith. Faith was existent in the world a long time before that. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, Abraham's offering was accepted by God because of his faith. Enoch walked with God because of his faith. Noah built an ark because he had faith. But it was Abraham who somehow perfected the model of faith that you and I are supposed to follow. Look at Genesis chapter 15 with me. uh, Verse number 6. This is the faith verse in the Old Testament. We have many faith verses in the New Testament. This is the one in the Old Testament. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. How is a person made right with God? By faith, not by works. You could work until there's no energy left in you. That could never in any way justify you in the sight of God. Uh, You could dedicate yourself, give everything you have away, give all your money uh, to the Lord's work and go to some foreign land and die there in obscurity uh, trying to reach people for Christ. That will not save you. The only thing that God will credit for your salvation is your personal faith in the finished work of Christ. And so this is how people were saved in the Old Testament. He believed in the Lord and he counted it him for righteousness. Faith equals righteousness. This verse is so famous that it is used at least three times in the New Testament. It's used in Romans 4.3, Galatians 3.6, and James 2.23. So here is this man of faith walking in the world. Can you identify with this? He's leading a band of pilgrims uh, in the world. He's leading them through the promised land. He knew this was all temporary, though, because in Hebrews he said, he looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. Uh, You know, he wanted to do well for the Lord on earth, but he knew that there certainly was more to living than this. Have you ever felt that way? Well, I want to reinforce your feeling today, okay? Uh, we go through this life, we work hard, we, uh, we work so hard that our health just dissipates. Uh, we hurt ourselves because we work so hard and uh, our, just everything comes unglued and we think, boy, is this what life is all about? Yeah, in this life, that's what life is all about. Uh, I think 1 Corinthians 15, 19 uh, 
is a provocative verse. Let's read it together. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. You know, if you take that verse in isolation from its context, it's, uh, it's really depressing. It really is. Because Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and he says, if, if all we have is this life, it isn't much. And uh, we can say a resounding yes to that. But what he's talking about right here is this. He's talking about it in the context of the resurrection. And he's saying, listen, people who only have hope in this life, they don't have much to live for. Uh, because the real life comes later in the resurrection. Uh, when Jerry Falwell was first beginning his ministry, he used to always make this statement. If there were no heaven and there were no hell, I'd rather be a Christian than anything this world has to offer. And what he was saying is this, is even though life as a Christian is tough, now we don't understand that much in our country, and we have a hard time identifying the New Testament because of it, but what he was saying here, in their culture, when you, when you welcome people to become a Christian, they probably said, hey, come and die with us. How would you like to give that invitation at the end of the service? After you preach the gospel, your sins can be forgiven. Come forward and die with us. Come forward and be punished and be ridiculed and be tortured with us. And so in that context, this verse makes a lot of sense. Those Christians back in those years, they had to always put their life on the line. And what he's doing here is he's pointing past this world to eternity, to a land that is fairer than day. By faith we can see it afar. The Father waits over the way and prepares us a place there. Abraham was the prototype of faith. He really was. He was the father of the faithful. He was a leader of the band of pilgrims. It's interesting, in Genesis 14, 14, you'll find his entourage. He had hundreds that went with him. Whenever somebody stands up and becomes a person of faith, God gives them other people to follow them. Uh, I believe this. I believe that every Christian, in a sense, is a pastor. I believe every person that follows Christ is a pastor because every single person has a circle of influence. They have their family. They have their relatives. They have the people they work for friends and acquaintances that they meet and they hang out with. We are the pastors of those people. You are the only Bible they'll ever read. You are the only life they will ever see who claims to be a Christian. Uh, you are responsible for them. I want to encourage you today not to discourage you, to do something about your pastorate. I want you to go home and get some paper and begin to write the names of all the people in your family. Your kids, their kids, your uncles, your aunts, their kids. Put it on a paper and begin to build your parish. The group of people that you will stand before God and be responsible for. And begin to pray for them by name and by need. 
And rather than being upset with, all, with them all the time and saying, listen, there's no hope for them, I want you to go to bat for them in a spiritual way. I want you to come before God at night and in the morning and say, Lord, for this person I pray. And eventually, you know what will happen? You will begin to see some spiritual breakthroughs. You will begin to see some miracles in your life. Uh, Abraham didn't go into the promised land by himself. He took his friends with him. He had a band, his entourage. And there he began to set up altars of worship along the way, seeking a city whose builder and maker is God. But, you know, he died not realizing all the promises. But he kept believing. You know, the world says, listen, uh, if you show me, I'll believe. God says this to the Christian. If you believe, I'll what? I'll show you. And so believing is important. You know, Abraham's decision impacted history and so will yours. Uh, Abraham came on the scene and he walked with God. He was a person of faith. He walked into the center of the storm and so will you. But you know, it's worth it all. It really is. It's worth it all. You might say, well, I don't like pain. Well, pain is inevitable in life. It really is. If you serve the devil, there'll be more pain. If you serve God, you only have to take the bullets of the devil and realizing that the battle is not yours, it's the Lord's, and the victory is ensured because the battle is God's. We're on the winning side. And as we faithfully go forward, the only way, there's only one way that Satan can stop you. And that's for you to stop. Galatians 6, 9 says this, Don't grow weary in well-doing, for in due season you'll reap if you don't get discouraged and quit. Be the pastor that God is calling you to be to your circle of influence and don't quit. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, uh, Abraham lived a long time ago. But in the book of Hebrews, the Bible says that you and I are supposed to be imitators of people who have walked in faith before us. Uh, he took a leap into the unknown when God called him. And that's what we do when we come to Christ. We don't know what the future holds. We're just willing to let God, who knows the future, hold us. I want to encourage you to be a person of faith, a father of faith, a mother of faith. Stop complaining about your circle of influence and start doing something about it, something positive. Write their names down. Pray to God for them that God will change their heart. God will send spiritual people into their lives. God will give you a chance for them to see Christ in you. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word today. It brings hope to us. We pray that every single person in our church today will walk away from here saying, I want to be a father of faith. I want to be a mother of faith, and I'm willing to pay the price. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we close our service today. And as we sing to the Lord, if you'd like to come and pray about anything in your life or the life of a friend.